Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unexplained World Internet Radio Broadcast with your host, Edward Cheney, a paranormal, spiritual observer, and psychic reader, along with Annette, a high priestess and psychic reader. The Unexplained World is a location where the border between the natural and supernatural may become nothing more than fuzzy, so enjoy. Listeners, welcome to the Unexplained World. Which your host, Annette? Hello, Annette. Hi, Ed. How are you this evening? I'm doing good. Annette is a high priestess of the Covenant of the White Heart and a tarot runes and past life reader and a beautiful witch. You can see a video of her interviewing a man who felt he was haunted by demons. That's at our website, theunexplainedworld.com. Also, my name is Ed Shanahan, and I have been titled a spiritual observer. I've been in two books, at least two more coming out in 2008. I do palm, psychometry, one-on-one readings, and conscious channeling with items of your loved ones who have passed away. Also created a circle of energy that is my ability and attempt when I'm with a group of individuals at a haunted location. The results is those present become the mediums, and that is the goal. They have those involved to experience the spirit and spirit world present at the location. And, of course, Annette and I do house parties, and that is out of the Indiana-Illinois border area, and I'm out of the Chicagoland southwest suburban area. Um, more information can be found at our website, theunexplainedworld.com. That pretty much covered it, didn't it, kid? So. I think so. Right yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ladies, listeners, um, our guest tonight is Miss Anne Marie Hemingway, author of, I'm trying to click on, okay, author of Practicing Conscious Living and Dying. Anne Marie is an ordained minister, writer, and spiritual counselor. Hello, Anne Marie. Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Don't let me interrupt, but is it Anna Maria? Yes, it's Anna Maria. Anna Maria. Okay. How are you doing tonight? I'm good, thanks. That's good, that's good. Um, I've been reading through your book, and it's a very good book. Um, do you want to give a rundown of what it's about, Anna Maria? Um, well, what I've attempted to do is um, take the subject of death, which is one that we tend to avoid, uh, I think, very much in this culture, and try to open it up and look at it from all sorts of different angles to actually perhaps gain a deeper understanding of what this natural part of our life cycle can actually mean for us. Now, a lot, a lot of this is uh, people who had 
near-death experiences. Um, majority of the book is about those. Am I correct? Well, the first third of the book is actually about near-death experiences. Um, the second section is actually about people who have been either with a dying person or lost somebody. And the third section is about after-death communication. And within each section, there's a, a text followed by real-life stories of people that have experienced what I've just written about. So mm -hmm. the first section does deal with NDEs, yeah. Okay. And that's that's been an interest of mine, near-death experiences, because um, of what I do. And I usually I usually should suggest to people be if they want to uh uh work in the medium area or if they're into the paranormal or whatever, is they should start reading those documents. Just to mm -hmm. get a better idea of, you know, the experiences that people have encountered. I guess you could say on the other side. You might feel that way. Um, yeah, I think the thing is that, um, you know, the whole subject of paranormal and psychic phenomenon that can be actually observed or experienced, you know, around the whole process of death and dying um, is, is quite extraordinary. And certainly the near-death experience, you know, is a big part of that. Although I think, um, I'm sure you'd agree that all these sort of um, forms of communication or near-death experiences actually are all telling us the same thing, you know, that there's something else going on um, beyond the death of the physical body. Yes, well, and they serve I, then to provide some proof for those of us, right? Yes, certainly. And I think, you know, the stories that near-death experience survivors come back with are all very remarkably similar. Um, they have different experiences according to their own cultural or mythic belief systems, but certainly they seem to encounter the same energies and um, certainly, you know, have a very transformative experience during their near-death experience. You've, uh, have, you've, you've had the opportunity to actually talk to people who've, experienced this, right? Near death experiences? I, I have, assume. yes. Yes. Yeah. And I I have also. And the individual I talked to, he was thirty five, he was a big burly truck driver and he he basically he pulled over one day on the road, he pulled over to the side, called his management, told told him he didn't feel good at all. Felt like he was gonna pass out. When he hung up, he called 911. By the time they got to him, he was a few seconds earlier or whatever, he died. Okay? And they were able to bring him back. And when he told me, he knows what I'm into. And so he was very open in talking to me about it. And I definitely had to ask him if he experienced anything. And when he started describing it to me, Anna Marie, he the look that came across his face, I still today, it was probably the most beautiful thing I've seen. He was at peace when he was describing it. And it was like he was looking through me, looking at a screen, and his eyes were moving. 
like he was still seeing. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it moved me. And um, well, I think these, you know, these people do have incredible experiences. Um, you know, they often have a life review in which they actually look at their whole lives and you know see what they were doing with it. Um, I think one of the you know, most remarkable things about the near-death experiences how these people, when they return to everyday consciousness, choose to live their lives very differently. Um, the experience has such a profound effect on them that it certainly affects the way they live the rest of their lives. And perhaps the things that seem to be really important beforehand, you know, these things are replaced by things that have a deeper meaning to them and I think that you know when I when I compiled these stories part of it was because I think they're very inspirational and you know I, I think people really want to hear and are curious not only about these experiences but you know what might happen at that moment of death or transition when we move into another form of consciousness your first experience with this was, I believe, your mother, wasn't it? With your mother? Yeah, I went through um, the, the dying process with my mother. And, um, you know, obviously when we lose somebody that we're close to, we have, you know, very mixed emotions. And certainly there's a lot of grief and loss surrounding that whole period. But also I came to witness things that I had never witnessed before, like my mother had, you know, um, deathbed visions, for example, which I don't know whether people are familiar with, but certainly a very common place where a dying person receives, you know, either messages or perhaps even sees, could be a deceased relative or friend or some kind of religious entity, but they certainly get the idea that there is someone that is going to be escorting them on this transition. And, and as I became more, you know, familiar with a lot of things that were happening, I realized that for many of us, you know, we don't really become fully present because we're very fearful of death and dying. But if we do, you know, there is another side of death that actually really expands our awareness you know, in the same way that the near-death experience does, or, or an after-death communication, when people receive an after-death communication, again, you know, they have that sense that the person they've lost is, is still with them in some form and is communicating with them. And, you know, it's very similar to what you just described when you were talking about um, the man who had had the near-death experience. Often there's a, a very peaceful feeling attached to uh, an after-death communication or a deathbed vision in which, you know, there's this certain awareness that perhaps, you know, the, the person that is making the transition is certainly moving on, but not mm -hmm. moving away from us. Mm -hmm. um, can you possibly answer, and I'm sure... You've come across this, and maybe you have your own feelings since you're a counselor and that. Why do children accept it, it seems like, easier than adults who have already lived their lives? 
Well, I, I firmly believe that, you know, when we first come into existence on this planet, um, we're very near that source, you know, the, the veil that separates us from perhaps experiencing those kind of things is, is still very open. So I think children, you know, are very near that source still. And so for them, it's perhaps far more natural. I mean, lots of people think that, you know, imaginary friends, which I certainly had one, and I believe mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. totally real, are, you know, a form of communication, um, not just the imagination. And I think children, and again, people, as they approach the dying process, they are expanded as well. So in those two places in life, when we first come in and when we're, you know, getting ready to move out, I think that's when we more readily can accept and communicate and, you know, perhaps be far more in that dimension. So I think that's why for children in particular, um, their near-death experiences when they have them are very real and almost normal. I was talking to a lady the other day who was saying, you know, a, a little boy who had had an NDE, um, he mm -hmm. could only describe it very simply, but he just had his finger pointing up towards, you know, the sky um, yeah. with that same serene look on his face. So, you know, obviously it's simpler because they don't have the language to articulate. And, but basically, you know, they don't really need to because the people that are listening or, or with, say, that child are totally aware of what they're trying to tell them. Yeah, yeah. Children are special. Um, callers or listeners, if you want to give us a call, the number is 646-915-9653. Annette, feel free to step in anytime. Yeah. Um, Anna Maria, I have a quick question about whether or not one loses consciousness. In my personal belief, I think that conscious, the stream of consciousness, can, consciousness continues. Um, mm -hmm. What's your opinion on that? Is it altered? It, does it continue when one passes? Are you, um Oh, when when a person is making their transition, you mean? Yes, yes. Well, I think it's probably, you know, obviously there's no way of proving, you know, scientifically or, or whatever exactly of what course. happens. There's still that part of the mystery, but it certainly seems that it, you know, could very well be like the near-death experiencer, for example. You know, they feel them, themselves, their essence, their spirit, whatever it is people, you know, want to call it, actually moving out of that physical body, but they're still certainly aware of who they are. And I think that, you know, their consciousness or, or their essence just moves on and it just discards that body that it was previously inhabiting and, you know, that the, the physical death of the body, um, like with NDE survivors, they certainly describe that very well. I mean, often talking about looking down and seeing, you know, their body on an operating table or at the scene of a car crash. They see the body, but they're no longer yeah. in it. Um, in your experience with um, interviewing people and so forth, what do you, what's the timetable or just an average? When somebody is making that transition and they're looking down and they're seeing their body, how long is it? Is it maybe a second for one, an hour for another? Is there a way of an average? I think, again, um, 
you know, we tend to look at things in linear time, which is how course, we, yeah. you know, we look at our <laughs> clock and things this like that. This question is for me. <laughs> I think, um, you know, from from the many people that I've spoken to, what mm-hmm. tends to happen is that um, as we enter this expanded form of consciousness, actually, you know, time has no meaning. So some people say things like, well, the whole thing could have just lasted two seconds or two hours or two days. I really don't know. You know, they lose that sense of time that, you know, we're pretty confined by. But certainly um, the only way perhaps of really gauging that is, you know, if somebody's had an accident or something and um, somebody's summoned help and, and they know from, you know, being, being at that scene how much time sure. has actually elapsed. I'm sure the timetable of the events. Okay. I can see yeah. that. Yeah. One other quick thing. I know that you mentioned that when um, when a person is making the transition into death and, or through death and they experience, some experience a few different uh, things based on their belief system when they were alive in their body here on earth. Can you expound mm-hmm. on that a little bit? Are you talking about the NDE here or just about people... You know, in the in the state. Well, I, I find it I find it interesting that well, I suppose the NDE would be the one that would be able to come back and tell us their experience. That's how we would know it. Or I'm not sure how else we would find out unless there was some communication after the transition was made. But for example, my belief system would be different. What I would expect to find in my transition would be different than oh, my brother or my mother, mm-hmm. based on religious well, beliefs or, you know, is somebody going to meet the goddess? Is somebody going to meet Jesus Christ? I'm just yeah, curious I what think, you... I think that's very much so. Um, you know, um, near-death experience and all this other phenomenon is universal. It doesn't just belong to one culture right. or, you know, one particular time frame. I mean, the earliest, you know, accounts of NDE were written one certainly from the 8th century and Plato used the myth of Ur to close the Republic. So we can see that these things have been with us, you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's very, you know, it's sort of difficult to actually, you know, answer the question um what, what exactly was it that you, you know, were pinpointing there? Okay, well, I just think that for myself, when I make my transition, I would expect um, deceased relatives to be there waiting for me. And my version of deity is very feminine. So that's what I would anticipate. And, for example, perhaps, oh, I lost my father in June. So he may have assumed that he would meet my mother at a pearly white gates and meet with Jesus and St. Peter, etc. Just based on, you know, what he'd been told all his life and how he was raised with his religion. So yeah, I guess I what think... I'm wondering is NDE people, you know, people that have experienced a near-death experience, do they come back with similar, up, you know, takes on it like that? Yeah, I think very much so, because, you know, if they happen to be a Catholic, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they may well see Jesus, for example, or okay. if they're of an Indian, um, Eastern 
belief right. system, then they may see, you know, the figure represented in, in their cultural or, or mythic um, belief system. And I think that we, we translate that however we've been brought up. But I think that, you know, all of these things in, in essence, all of these symbols are really mm -hmm. symbols for the same source. So, of course, you know, they all boil down to the same that, thing. Um, somebody that's agnostic or, say, has professed to be an atheist, they may uh -huh. just see a brilliant light. Okay. So I think we translate it the, the way it has meaning for us, but, you know, what actually um, takes place is always very much the same. Some people have a much deeper experience than others, but... Um, yeah, I think I think that that is, you know, very possible that it would manifest exactly how you, you know, you your belief system happened to be. Okay, I just find that so interesting. And I'm sure that once you're past that point of being introduced to whatever it is, heaven, let's just call it for lack of a better word, once you're introduced to that, I'm sure it all boils down to the source as it is, and you you just are relaxed and have no fear to know it as you become to know it. So, yeah, I think so, and I I think you know when we sort of even talk like about r religious orientation in a sense, you know, we read a lot of different world religions and things. Often, you know, what they're telling us actually has the same message, but it's been translated by different people to have, oh, yeah. you know, a different sort of context for their particular way of living or or viewing the world. So for ancient cultures, you know, their, their gods were the sun and the moon and stars and things like that. So I think we all, you know, we all have a different way of experiencing, but it's almost like you said in that way that, you know, all roads lead to Rome or lead to heaven. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> right. when, we, when we finally get to that place. There was a, it's very interesting, there was a story in there about a cardiologist, I believe, who was a skeptic on it, on the whole uh, ND, NDE. And mm -hmm. uh, until, and actually he had a patient that was, actually went brain dead, I believe the story goes. And, yeah, I think you're talking and she about... Was, um, she was brought back, and uh, he kind of changed his way of thinking because she actually, I believe, experienced what was going on in the room and was able oh. to describe, or there was another patient of his that are able to describe what is actually, even though they're considered dead, they're able, when they're brought yeah. back, they're able to describe what actually was going on. Yeah, and I think some of these early pioneers into studying the NDE, like, you know, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and you were actually referring to the work of Dr. Michael Sabon, who actually, you know, all of these people were doctors, and they were quite skeptical, um, some more than others. But gradually it became apparent, you know, that through their patient stories, they were beginning to hear the same thing from different sources, and um, the example that you used, you know, was a very powerful one because this woman had all the blood drained from her, I think brain. it was either her body or certainly her brain, so her brain. for yeah. all intents and purposes, she was brain dead. 
Now, mm-hmm. she did um, describe what had been happening, and not just in that particular room, but elsewhere. And this is another thing that, you know, near-death experiences do. And I have a couple of stories, um, you know, in the near-death experience section where people, you know, have been supposedly, if you looked at them, you know, dead on the floor, and they're miles away listening into a conversation in another state going on between their brother and sister-in-law. So, um their consciousness certainly moves off. It's not just, you know, confined to what we would imagine. And, of course, that's quite difficult for us to, you know, to imagine happening. But it certainly seems to be what does happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, why? But there's a big why there. Why is it so hard for, you know, with all these documented reports... Um, for people to grasp this as an actual reality. You think they'd be happy to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it would be, you know, it would take away a lot of people's fears by reading, you know, yours is the second book I've read on the subject. And it's, you know, it's, it's like, wow, you know, um, let me, let me, you know, not, can't wait for today, but when the day does come, you know, it ain't going to be so bad. Why are well, people Well, I think having... because, um, you know, we, we've we just built up so much fear, it's certainly in Western societies. I don't think perhaps it's the same in Eastern and, and some other cultures, but certainly for us, you know, we really, death is viewed as the ultimate failure, you know, when medical knowledge and and know-how can't save us and when we can't stay looking 20 for the rest of our lives you know we tend to really be fearful so i think that we're very closed down to this whole idea of what might happen and one of the reasons i wrote this book was to actually you know try and make people curious again and into looking into all of this and perhaps expanding and getting through that fear and and like you say um You know, it it is wonderful to read these stories because these people return and, you know, they have no fear of death. They live their lives very differently. They have an unshakable conviction that life continues after death. And it's not like just one of these things we experience in life and, you know, like a dream or or something. Mm -hmm. And for a few days it seems very real and then it just fades and, you know, we go back to our old way of thinking these people don't do that. They're permanently transformed. So I think they're a really good example, you know, for people that are seeking answers to the questions that we're always asking. And I think, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, you know, you talk about, say, after-death communication being so subtle. <coughs> you know, why doesn't the person just come through? And again, for most people, they say that, but you know, if they were sitting in a room and suddenly, you know, their deceased loved one suddenly appeared before them, you know, most people would be absolutely terrified. So, again, it's yeah. our own, you know, it's our own barriers that perhaps, yeah. you know, preclude that that actually happening. And so these little subtle signs that, you know, are often, I mean, there's so many synchronistic things that happen after a person has died that, 
you know, often the, the deceased person, all, all the people that I've talked to have lost somebody have noticed something, you know, whether it's the smell of perfume in a certain place or whether it's just the idea of there being some presence or, you know, a very striking after-death communication in the dreaming state. But they, they do get some signs. But I think they are very subtle because we can accept those. And, um, you know, again, it's that, that fearful place. And, you know, when we read old ghost stories or, or see things like that on a movie, you know, it's all very scary and dramatic. And, and I think that's how we tend to view the idea that perhaps we could, um, you know, actually communicate in that way. Well, well, when I do the um, conscious channeling with items of loved ones who passed away, um, it's it's psychometry, using psychometry with the items, picking up the energy and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and trying to tap into the loved one. I usually end up with a smile on my face because it's, you know, it's a feel-good feeling, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I try to express that to the individuals that brought me the item that's sitting across from me, you know. And there's there's subtle messages to give to them and you know, a lot of you know, um one lady I basically said your mother said all is forgiven and the lady just started crying right there. And um there was another I was called in to ask to go to a friend of a friend's house. They were being, the woman couldn't handle what was going on, um, basically a spirit activity there. And once I got in there, I, I, was, I walked right to the area without being told of where this was happening. And I'm standing there, and I said, you've had somebody recently die, right? And she goes, yeah, my grandfather. I said, okay. Before this activity started, was your did your life kind of go into a mess? Yes. They said, well, you know, you're fearing something that he's trying to say, I'm here to help. Does ask, you know. And it brought a calmness to the whole situation because, you know, it was as simple as her, the person she loved was in the house, knew she what she was going through, and... I told her, I said, ask in your prayers or whatever for answers to your problems. They may come to you while you're asleep. And um, it brought comfort. And it is it is strange. People, you know, usually when they're freaking out a little, it's because they're not, like you said, accustomed or accepting of basically what I say is your your, your first layer of spirit guides are your loved ones who have passed away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, certainly, I think that's perhaps why, I mean, I've written quite a bit about that, you know, communication from the dead, again, isn't a new thing, it's been with us, you know, for centuries, and I, I think that one of the reasons that um, after-death communication in the dreaming state is often the place that people actually, you know, get in touch with their loved ones is because when we're asleep, that natural defense that we put up you know, has gone down a bit and we're, we're more susceptible so that, you know, our loved ones can come through and, and certainly they always seem to be in very good health um, and young and very vibrant. The dreams, are, you know, have a quality about them that 
makes them very different to our normal kind of dream. And like you said, you know, the messages they bring through are, you know, full of hope and comfort. And, you know, often they give us some advice about something. And, you know, people feel very good when they've had this kind of communication. Well, Annette, I don't know. Uh, Annette got a phone call from me one morning. <laughs> Remember that phone call, Annette? Where I had a yeah, dream. About your dream? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had a dream that, and tell you the truth, Ann Maria, uh, I don't know if I actually died or not. Um, it was so vivid, I couldn't bring myself out of the dream, which I usually can, and I did not come out of the dream until my loved ones had their final say. And then it was like, okay, now it's time for you to leave. And the final say was basically, there was four of them, and it's, we will watch over you, Ed, you know, in what you're doing. And uh, I finally, I I came out of it. My pillow, you know, was full of sweat. I didn't know if I was dead or not, okay? Um, I called Annette the next, that morning, Annette, any (laughs) idea, okay? And I'm the one that does all the stuff with the, you know, um, mm-hmm. the spirits, and yet it threw me for, you know, because it was so vivid. It was so vivid, and I couldn't bring myself out of it until I was basically excused uh, to leave. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I had such a vivid, you know, communication with my mother that it was so real that I could almost touch, you know, I write about it in the book, but I could almost touch the jacket she had on which was a woolen one I could actually almost feel the hair on the jacket and um, it it was so sort of reassuring to me that the message she gave me and you know thinking about it afterwards you know I think for a lot of people that um, lose someone especially when they have a long and serious illness we we tend to remember them as they were just before they died, you know, perhaps yeah. weak, emaciated, you know, that decay of the body. And, and we're left often with this really, you know, kind of rather sad picture in our mind. And, you know, certainly my mother in the, in the uh, after-death communication I had with her really wanted me to see that she's no longer like that. You know mm-hmm. that she she was vibrant and and um, you know young and that I understood her message so clearly because I thought yes you know that is the image I retain and it's rather a painful one and mm-hmm. and what a wonderful you know way to to revision that yeah that that yeah. was just you know the body that she left behind and. You know, she's not encumbered with that, and she's not in that pain, and she's, you know, she's moved on and left that body, that old body behind. And I found it so reassuring to me that, um, you know, it was almost something that I'd really, afterwards, I, I realized I, I was really waiting for, you know, to because I did have that feeling myself, and I, and I think a lot of people do. That's why... You know, these kind of communications are really so incredibly wonderful when we get them because they also 
change our very limited view about you know what what's actually taking place and what's happened in that transition period it's the when i'm doing like when i do the conscious channeling usually what comes across too is something that was enjoyable very enjoyable to the person that passed away and once i relay that to the individual sitting across from me it's like they remember that it's like leaving them remember what the loved one loved to do okay be it baking dancing whatever and so yes i totally understand what you're saying there um that you know the good things are basically how they're still remembered okay Um, yeah and i think you know that we we all in in some form or another you know, have this kind of experience. Um, you know, sometimes when people say to me, well, you know, they don't believe in life after death or, or all of the things we've been talking about. And, you know, my question often to them is, well, have you ever in your whole life had an experience that's been so profound for you and yet you can't rationally explain it? And I actually haven't come across one person, whatever, you know, their experience might be, that mm. has said, no, I haven't. And I right. think that if we, if we think about our own experiences, that, you know, most of us look back and think, oh, wow, yes, I, I had something similar to that, or I didn't have that, but, you know, I had something else that was very profound for me. But, you know, all these things are like pointers to the fact that, um, you know, nothing is quite just as as we think it may be. And, Certainly, if we look back to, you know, all the ancient um, texts, sacred texts, myths, even the natural world around us, we get pointers all the time of this continual, you know, process of birth, death, and and rebirth. I mean, we've recently just, you know, um, celebrated Easter. But how many people actually look at that from that perspective, that we're doing that as a culture, but we've sort of lost perhaps a sacred meaning to a lot of these things and you know it's become very dampened down in our in our own psyche so we kind of actually you know need other people's stories to a certain extent so that we can reacquaint ourselves with something that I think we we probably deep down inside we all have some understanding of but you know it's just got kind of lost in the fact that in the way we live our lives now, you know, many people see other things as being far more important. And usually, you know, we we live in a materially driven world. So I think well, you, that's why you open a, things. You open a door for me to ask you a couple questions, okay? And I'm going to throw them oh. out to you. Um, with my, my research by... Specifically on the near-death experience um, readings, um, let me ask you a question: Have you ever come across anybody that said or felt that they were lost or didn't know they were dead? I think lots of people that have a near-death experience to begin with uh, are unsure about what's happening. You know, mm-hmm. some describe being in a dark void or a tunnel and, you know, being afraid and not knowing what's 
going on. It seems to be a very transitory um, state for them because yeah. then they either see a light in the distance or somebody, you know, a light being or something appears to, um, you know, escort them away from there. But I know, um, you know, one of the stories I have in the book, which is about a, a medium who talks about often having to cross over because there are some people, you know, that are still lingering here that actually don't know that they are dead. And she seemed to think that that can often happen, you know, if there's some huge mass, you know, catastrophe or accident and and has, you know, spoken about people really not knowing that they have died okay. and has actually perhaps done the same thing herself. I mean, I don't know whether you're familiar with that, but has actually, you know, taken them over herself or or requested one of the person's relatives, deceased relatives, to come and fetch them, basically. Okay, okay. Uh, we're going to, we got 20 minutes remaining, so Annette and I have a couple announcements to make. If you wouldn't mind just uh, sitting back, relaxing for a uh, a minute or two while we make those announcements. Would you mind that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay, and you got uh you got something coming up where actually the listeners can come out and meet and greet you. That's right. Um that's for summer solstice on June the twenty first. Uh well this is called the Heart of the Morgan Community Interfaith Temple, the Tutti Insimine. And this is a celebration of spirit, unity and harmony. It'll be held from 11 a.m. until dusk out at the Forest Preserve in Willow Springs Woods. Uh, that's at Flavin Road, just east, east of Archer in Grove Number 1. You can spend the summer solstice with an interfaith community. Oh, there'll be a picnic, vendors, readers, raffles, drumming, outdoor rituals. There'll be children's activities. Um, the entrance fee is uh, bring a dish to pass for the picnic. Uh, we've got all kinds of people out there. Um, all the proceeds will be donated to the Animal Welfare League and the Big Run Wolf Ranch. Uh, let's see, there'll be an open ritual um, on the pagan side, you know, very earth-friendly. There'll be a children's ritual. And uh, a good friend of ours, Ed knows as well as I, our friend Rosina, uh, putting this all together. She started by uh, doing an ancestor's ball, which was a, a Samhain or a Halloween celebration. And uh, she's expanding into this, and she's getting a great turnout. I've got a list here in front of me of all kinds of vendors. Um, and I will be there and uh, selling incense and just hanging out with the kids and trying to have a nice day in the woods <laughs> and celebrate the solstice with everybody. So come on out and say hello. Um, I think we're going to be doing some interviewing that day. Oh, you just uh, told me well, the date, so um, ouch. Um, I oh, may that's have to an ouch you. date? <laughs> yeah, I may have to get, and I'll explain why in a minute. But I may okay. have to give you that tape recorder and microphone. Well, I'll be doing interviews that day, it sounds like. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, so you can meet and greet Annette there. We'll bring it up again in case uh, you didn't get a chance to write write it down, listeners. So. It's a nice group. Rosina is just a gem of a woman, and you'd be... if you've not, if you don't, if you're from this area and you don't know her yet, you'll want to come out and say hello. 
Yes, and uh, Annette also does, like I said at the beginning, she does tarot runes and past life readings for those who are interested. Annette, how can they get in contact with you? You can send me a little email at fairyring at hughes.net. That's F-A-I-R-Y-R-I-N-G at hughes.net, H-U-G-H-E-S.net. Okay, tomorrow night, Monday, I'll be doing readings at Champs at 6501 West 79th Street in Burbank, Illinois. That is from 5 till 9 o'clock at night. That is approximately six blocks east of Harlem Avenue on 79th Street. Um, What I announced at the beginning of the show that I do as readings is what I'll be doing. There's no no set fee. It's a gift offering of your choice. Uh, Also, we have coming up. Uh, with Beyond the Veil, which I do with Ursula Bielski of Chicago Hauntings, the well-known Chicago author. We have the Humphrey House, haunted location, April 26th, private group, that night, and it's filled. We have uh, on May 3rd, the Vielska ex-murder house in Vielska, Ohio, I believe it is. That is also full. It's been full since 2007. But on June 21st, ah, that's the outstate. Um, we oh, have okay. Ashmore 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 Estates overnight at the abandoned mental institution in Ashmore, Illinois, June 21st. Already some spaces have been requested, still more open. Do not miss this one. July 26th, the Humphrey House. We're back there. If you go to the Unexplained World, you can read the article from the newspaper out in Orland Park that wrote about the last, the one time we were there. Um, then also November 8th, we have the Mansfield Reformatory Overnight, Overnighter. It's a notoriously haunted state prison in Mansfield, Ohio. And uh, we will be going back to Vielska X Murder House. Does contact, does go to the unexplainedworld.com. And uh, we also will be doing Camp Chesterfield, Spiritualist Camp. And uh, Maybe I could drag a net out to that. Uh, on our on our on our broadcast next week, it was going to be a net or next week, April twentieth was going to be a nets in our night, but something popped up, and I couldn't avoid this. And uh, that night, it's going to be scientists are taking orbs seriously. Dr. Klaus Heinemann, a former research professor at Stanford University and researcher in material science for NASA, the American Space Agency, is our guest this night. And he says there is no doubt in his mind that ORS may well be one of a, the most significant outside of this reality phenomena mankind at large has ever witnessed. Scientists in the science world are feeling and looking at the possibility about orbs being more than what has been said by the paranormal field investigators. Um, yes, they they do realize many of the orbs are dust bunnies or whatever and, you know, reflections of this or that. But these guys have taken it into the lab and they've attempted to... Science has finally gotten involved in the paranormal side. That's about all I'm going to say on that. Then we have, for those who may be interested in, we sure are here on May 4th. David Comp, our, you know, our great guest, will be back. 
He's part of the inner circle. We'll be discussing reptilian aliens, UFOs, greys, and he's fresh from the UFO conference that they just had in Tinley Park, Illinois. And he'll also be discussing what he's got um, working, brewing on his end. So that's everything that's coming up. And Anna Maria, what what else? You know, we discussed the near-death experiences. What else could people find in your book about? Um, well, if they're interested in deathbed visions, you know, which has many of the similar components, um, there's a section on on that and um, after-death communication. And really what I did when I wrote Practicing Conscious Living and Dying was that, you know, I took as much information as possible to research and get stories from people that had experienced all kinds of paranormal phenomenon. And I think one of the important things for me anyway is that, you know, these these stories and, and all the things we've been talking about aren't just really to um, to find out if there is an afterlife or if consciousness exists, which is a very important part, obviously. But I think it also gives us a lot of information about how we can differently live our lives here and now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, because... You know, the stories that people come back with are very inspirational and it certainly changes their attitude, you know, towards perhaps how they act to other people, you know, respect for the animal kingdom, for nature, all the things that we seem to have lost, rather, in the way we live our lives now. Um, I think by expanding our, our awareness that, you know, we are part of a continuum and that everything around us is part of that continuum, it certainly shakes our preconceived ideas about, you know, what what maybe we should be doing with our lives. You being a spiritual counselor, how, if, how can I say this, if people have a desire to experience the spiritual side without dying, how would you say for them to open up to it? What would you recommend, if you can? Well, I think there are numerous things that you can do. You know, one of the simplest, perhaps, might just be by actually, you know, communing in nature, by actually getting out into that, you know, real world that lives all around us, that's alive and everything that, you know, surrounds our very beings. Um, I think that's a very good idea. I think meditation, you know, reading, becoming perhaps aware and journeying inwards rather than outwards all the time. I mean, there are, you know, there are very many practices that people use to to gain mm-hmm. the same kind of enlightenment that a person who's had a near-death experience does. And uh, we have all sorts of people that live on this planet, you know, like... Um, yogis and and mystics and people that actually can live in in both of those worlds at the same time and i think just opening ourselves up to all the things that we've discussed you know gives us a a sense of there being much more to life than perhaps we'd previously thought and that 
just this very idea sends us on a search. And that search actually, you know, can end up by transforming us and and certainly opening us up to very many different possibilities rather than the ones that we're very set with. Now, would you recommend for people to read books like you're practicing conscious living and dying and other books out there before, you know, just to uh, get some type of idea than just jumping in there blind and cold and, you know, say spirits speak to me or, you know, attempt to meditate that way and, I, I always, I always, I always recommend. You know, best resources is to read other people's experiences. Well, know, exactly, and I, I think you know, I've collected, uh, I think, sixteen different stories amongst the text material that I've also provided for that very reason. Because I think people want to hear about other people's experiences. You know, they want to know that other people have actually had, say, a near-death experience doesn't automatically mean that they need to have one, but just simply right. by reading other people's other people's own accounts, they kind of get in touch with that same place. So I think, you know, reading books, getting material is obviously really, really helpful and certainly gives you a lot to, you know, think about. And that's perhaps one of the ways that we can actually you know, expand our own awareness it is through is through other people's day to day people that we might know even. You know, mm-hmm. I have a story in in my book about Larry Hagman's um, near death experience and I think, you know, people are very surprised. They never thought that that had happened to him and the outcome on it, in his own personal life and it certainly very much proves that you know, all the things that perhaps we think are important, like fame and money and wealth and, you know, power of some kind, actually still leaves that inner yearning to to discover the true meaning of life. And, um, you know, Larry's NDE, for example, gave him that piece of information that he wanted. So, um, and, and it kind of changed his life, too, didn't it? His attitude and... Stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah, and yeah. and like many of these people, you know, they they live their lives very differently and often in service to other people. And he certainly does huge amounts for charitable institutions, as a lot of these people do. So they have a very different idea about what to do with their time and their own unique talents and resources. Annette, I'm going to throw a question out to you. Uh, we got five minutes left. Um, okay. I know with my grandmother, I believe she was seeing, you know, when your dad was ill, okay, mm-hmm. did you get any any feelings that, you know, as Anna Marie was talking about, that maybe he was being visited or anything well, like that? Well, I'll tell you what. I actually tried to lead him to have an ex- to be open to that. My father really, that was kind of the, one of the reasons, Anna Maria, why I was asking, you know, different religion, different background, how would you see it, how would it come to you? Um, because he really, he was a Catholic and he believed in God, but he, I don't think he really thought that there was going to be a life after death. I really thought that once you're done, you're done, and that's it, and it's over. 
Um, and for years I said, Dad, you shouldn't have to worry. It's, you know, you're going to go, consciousness will not stop. You'll be with Mom. You'll uh, With my brother Danny, who's passed also. And so when he was dying, um, I was right there with him the whole time. And, you know, I would sing him songs that he knew from his lifetime with my mom. And I would tell him, you know, don't re- have no regrets. Don't look back. When you see her, run to her, you know, the whole thing. So I think there were a couple of moments when he would, his eyes would pop open and he'd reach out. He couldn't speak very well there at the very end, um, but you know, he would have kind of a, oh. So I think something may have been going on um, for him. He was having some kind of type of an experience like that, but I, I have no way to prove that except I just know in my heart that my mom was there and that once he was gone, you know, on a physical level, that's kind of why I was wondering what your estimation was for how long someone would hang around. Because I, and I was hoping that what he would do would be go with her and be done. Go, get out of here, go. You know? <laughs> go, go to the light. You know, this is, this is earth, this is done. You don't need to look back and see your frail body or see us, you know, having pain. Because I, I see the circle of life is bigger than a lot of other people see it. So when someone close to me passes, I'm I'm happy for that in a certain way, that they have finished their evolution in this session of their lives and they can move forward. So I didn't want him to look back and, you know, see us or think that I was having pain, even though in that moment, of course, I had grief for his loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted him to go hold her hand and fly as fast as possible right out of that hospital, you know. So um, I think that he may have had experiences, and I think they may have hopefully I, I, I led him towards that so he could believe a little mm-hmm. bit more. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so that's what I've got for that. I hope you don't mind well, I think, yes. you know, yeah, what you described is, is often, you know, what tends to happen uh, as people are approaching death they seem to be looking and seeing something else. And, um, you know, I think one very comforting thing is that many hospice workers actually see the apparitions or entities that a dying person will see. So they are there almost as witnesses, you know. Um, It's not just that um, dying person, but, you know, again... Records go right back saying that Jesus actually visited Mary in the hours before her death to tell her that he would be coming to accompany her. And so, again, these things, you know, they have very historical backgrounds. They're not just something that, you know, we think about now. Um, in shamanism, the Dayak shaman actually came to escort the dying. So there's a very historical idea that somebody actually does come and Many people, you know, when they are in this phase of transition, certainly seem to um, experience that. Okay, Anna Maria. We only have two minutes in that, and I just want her to give a plug for her website and where you can get the book and everything like that. So why don't you do that? Okay, well, um, the book, Practicing Conscious Living and Dying, is published by O-Books. And the book's available from um, o-books.net. 
it's also available on all the Amazon sites and from any good bookstore can order it or you may find it there anyway. And my website for anyone that wants further information is www.practicingconsciouslivinganddying.com um, or you can Google me and um, there will be you know, many resources where you can actually get a copy from if you would like one. Okay, are you related to the Hemingways by any chance? Uh, famous. Well, maybe in the dim and distant past, but um, he's not my great grandfather or anything like that. <laughs> not that I, I know it. of, but it's a very good name for a writer, so I'm very yes. happy with it. <laughs> Anna Maria, right. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you thank both. You. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. And Annette, thank you. I'll call you in a couple minutes. Listeners, thank you very much. And Anna Marie, thank you again. It was very interesting. Good night. Thank you. Good, Good night. night. You too. Bye-bye.